0: excited for you guys all being here because what we're talking about tonight actually is something it's it may sound like a heavy topic and it is trust me but it's something that enables you to connect with God and so if you can learn to win the war against sin you can learn to connect with God on a deeper and deeper level and so I'm going to pray we're just going to jump right into what we have God. Thank you so much for your grace. And that we, when we talk about a subject like sin, that it doesn't have to be condemning us. It can be something that draws us closer to you. Something that draws us to freedom and tr- draws us to your mercy and your love. And I pray that the talk tonight would, would do that. It would glorify you and what you've done on the cross for us. And that we would all be motivated to live a life that's free. Free from sin. Free from things that are holding us back from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in 1 Peter, and we're gonna look at 1 Peter 2, verse 11, and that's gonna be the main passage I was inspired by tonight. Let's check it out. It says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. 1 Peter two eleven. I want you to circle the word Warn. Now when Peter is he's trucking along through this book and if you haven't read the first ch- chapter and the first half of the uh, the second chapter I'd encourage you to do that and but he's trucking along and then he comes to this place and he's like dear friends I warn you as ch- as temporary residents and foreigners I warn you and a warning this warning is not like oh just try not to sin just just be be careful don't don't watch out it's like the urge, an urge in the strongest possible terms. It's like the, the best thing I could compare it to is I have a four year old daughter named Evelyn, and she plays around in the street with her in her princess dress, and she's like the cutest thing. And I'm sitting like an old man in my lawn chair, sipping on a soda, just like. But if a car, sometimes cars come by on, along the road, I turn into a maniac. I go car, and and Evelyn, she like looks at me just. Ah! She just, I I freak out about the cars. And then if the car doesn't slow down, I give them the worst stank eye you've ever seen. I'm just like, it doesn't matter if it's our next door neighbor. I will look that guy right in the eye and be like, dude, you better sleep. If you hurt my daughter, you are gonna feel my wrath, okay? Um, But I think this is what uh, Peter is is getting at here. He's, He's urging you. He's saying, watch out. Watch out for this sin. This will ruin your life. The other thing I see here is this worldly desires. In the English Standard Version, it actually says passions of the flesh. And I love the way that's worded because that's, there's a part of you, there's a sinful side of you that is naturally drawn to what will destroy you. There's a part of you that will always be a part of you that is naturally drawn to what will destroy you. Eventually, though, you will get to a place in your life where you don't struggle with these passions and desires. Eventually, you'll get to that place where you just don't struggle anymore. That's called death, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Death. Death is the only time that you will ever not be struggling with the passions and the impulse, this burning desire to do what will destroy your soul. The sooner you embrace this fact, the sooner you're going to go into life with a more sober mindset and you'll actually be more successful in finding temptation when you realize that temptation will always be there. Temptation is always gonna be there and sometimes it says passions of the flesh. Sometimes it's gonna be so strong that the only way you can overcome your temptation is by the power and grace of God. But the good news is, is we have that. We have God's power and God's grace because of what Jesus did on the cross and because we have the Holy Spirit in us We can overcome temptation no matter how strong, no matter how powerful the temptation comes at us. And then it says, keep away. I want you to circle the word keep away. That's like if you see a temptation, just go on the completely opposite side of the street. I was in Nairobi, Kenya on a mission trip, and I had this buddy Joe. And we were walking along the streets of Nairobi, which is kind of a crazy place. And on the corner, it was like from here to Ayers, maybe a little closer, but there was these prostitutes there. And my buddy Joe saw them And he sprinted in the opposite direction. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? It's like, uh," and my brother and I were trying to catch up to him. He understood, I didn't know what was going on with him or whatever, but he understood if there's any remote chance of temptation, you run. You go on the opposite side. And that's what this passage is teaching. Because sin is not like a minor inconvenience in your life. It won't just kind of minorly trip you up. It will completely destroy your life. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. A sinful habit left unchecked in your life over time will actually fester and mold and grow, and it'll become a thing that damages and infects every part of your life. It, I've seen people that are my age now, the older you get, the more you start seeing the fruit of people's decisions, I've had a buddy that was a good was involved in a Christian ministry and looked good on the outside, but he had these little sins. He had these little sins in his life, and over time, he 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 just started giving into them, and they they got a hold on him, and it got to this place where he almost destroyed his family, his marriage. He got this close. He started having depressing thoughts, and he was this pl- this close from taking his life. He had started having having thoughts just like completely destroyed his life. So I've seen that. I've also seen people at that place turn back to Christ and God restore them gloriously. Where they, you, you, all, you look at them and you would have never known that that was their their story. So if you're in that place where you're in the pit with sin, you're stuck in your sin, and you're, you're even considering ending your life God's grace is here for you. God can, God can take no matter how, you can never out-sin the grace of God. There, there's no sin, there's no addiction, there's nothing that you can have in your life that God's grace cannot just blast right through that. But as, you just have to be willing to let God do that. But sin is not something to mess around with. Here's what Ravi Zachariah said. He said, sin will take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to say, and cost you more than you want to pay. This is, it says it wages war in that first first Peter 2 passage. It says it wages war against your flesh. The stakes are actually higher than a real battle because your soul is more valuable than your body. The good news is that God's given us everything we need to overcome temptation. Here's a a passage. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8, 13. So that gives us hope is if you live according to the flesh, which is your passions, your worldly desires, your natural inclinations, going along, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so by the Spirit, you can overcome temptation. You can grow in your walk with God. Those sins that have a grip on your heart and grip on your life, those secret sins that if, if, we, if you had to say it in front of all of us, you'd be mortified, you can be free from that through the Spirit. I came across this um, video clip. It was actually originally, it was a sermon jam. So it was a, a sermon that had like beat, tight beats behind it. But it was like, it's the sermon, I'll, maybe I'll share it later, but it's kind of has like cheesy graphics and stuff. So I found a clip of the sermon that's just John Piper, one of my favorite authors speaking. And it's about six minutes long. And he's just going off on this passage, Romans eight thirteen. And I just want you guys to—it's uh, about six minutes long. So put your your big boy—I don't know—just just just get ready to think, and let's let's check that out.
1: The only possible attitude toward out of control desire is a declaration of all-out war. I hear so many Christians. Murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings. And I see so little war. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? Make war! If you wonder how to make war, go to the manual. Don't just bellyache about your failures. Make war! He says, I'm continuing the quote, There is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or rustling of the leaves and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs and you are ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. There is a mean, violent streak to the true Christian life. But now let's very carefully ask, violence against whom? Or what? Not other people. Not other people. Not other people. Not Muslims. Not Hindus, not Buddhists, not atheists, not secularists, not nominal Christians, not wives or husbands or children or ordinary bosses, but on every impulse in our soul to be violent to other people. Violence, a mean streak in Christianity against our own selves and all in us that would make peace with sin and a settling-in peacetime mindset. We make war on that in us. It's a violence against all lust in ourselves, all enslaving desires for food, caffeine, sugar, chocolate, Alcohol, pornography, money, the praise of man, approval of others, power, fame. This is our enemy. This is where we make war. It is a violence against all racism in our souls, all sluggish indifference to injustice in our souls, a violence against all... Indifference to poverty and indifference to abortion in our souls. Did you know that in the warfare of Romans, Satan doesn't show up until chapter 16? We tend to think of spiritual warfare as this this little thing where you find some way to pray or some way to lay hands on or some way to do a, a Satan thing. Well, that's important. Believe me, that's important. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and world rulers of this present darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's important. But you know what? It's not nearly as important as this. Because the only foothold Satan has in your life is your flesh and your sin. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. The only reason we go to hell is sin. Much more important than fighting Satan is fighting sin. This warfare in verse 13 is vastly more important than figuring Satan out. Get that. My biggest enemy is not Satan. My biggest enemy is John Piper. Fallen, fleshly, rebellious, hostile, selfish, lusting, power-grabbing, fame loving John Piper is my biggest enemy. And he's the only reason I'll go to hell. Not Satan. Satan, you don't have nearly that kind of power. And therefore, I really care about us learning how to do this battle. Christianity is not a settling in, live at peace with the world the way it is religion. Like most Christians live their daily lives. Verse 13. If by the Spirit you kill. There's a mean streak in Christianity. And it's not against anybody else but ourselves. In fact, it's against the meanness of ourselves against other people. If you feel like you're a mean person against others, a harsh person, a critical person, you know your problem? You haven't learned to make war. You haven't learned to be mean. You haven't learned to get violent against your violence, against your meanness, against your critical spirit. And you complain of it, talk about it. But have you made war 24-7 against it? I want you to think for a moment
0: about what sin has a grip on you. What sin do you feel like you need to make war against? You need to kill. You need to fight. And the good news is, is that God is here to help us fight our, our sin. And it, whatever that thought you have in your mind is, I want to say to you that God can and will, if you allow him to, make that temptation, that sin, that, that addiction, it can go from an enslaving addiction to a minor temptation, it can be something that you learn to overcome that, that, that the, the grip on it is just loosened and that 's what happened to me for me, I had this secret area of my life, and it, honestly it was lust it was I had some habits and some things that were really like a spiritual cancer eating away at my soul and it made me insecure, it made me fearful, it made me feel guilty all the time. honestly, I felt trapped I tried everything. Until, I I came across some of these truths, and I, and God actually led me through a process where I am completely changed in the way, in this area. I'm not perfect, but I'm changed. Um, and here's how. Here's how to overcome a sinful habit. The first thing is be honest. Be honest. I remember all through, uh, up into my freshman year of college, I had never told anyone about my struggle. I had never confessed my sin about in this area. I was just embarrassed. I was ashamed. I didn't want people to think I was a dirtbag or whatever. And I, I was sitting up in my room one night. I was my freshman year of college, and I was listening to some Christian punk. And this is probably the only time that something good has come out of Christian punk rock. Okay, <laughs> But I, they had a phrase that said, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. And just I was thinking, praying, and I realized I can't overcome this. I've tried for years overcoming this temptation without telling anyone. I need to tell someone. And so I walked downstairs, and it was the most fearful moment of my life. And I was crying, I was shaking, but I told my dad what I was struggling with. And you know what happened? You know what he did? He showed me God's grace. He, didn't, he wasn't disappointed. He didn't even look at me with disappointment. He looked at me with love and compassion. And I think there's people in the world in, in challenge, there's leaders here that if you share those parts of your life with us, like, we're not going to judge you. We're going to accept you. He gave me grace, and then he gave me truth. And he said, he said here's some things that can help you overcome that. And he actually identified with me, and he helped me realize it. And the moment I did that, it was like a weight just lifted off of me. It was like I was beginning the process of healing before God. James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James 5.16. 1 John 1.7-9, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The good news of the gospel is that sin, your sin, isn't the end of the story is that sin, your sin can be completely washed. It can be completely forgiven. And what do you need to do, according to this passage, to get your sins forgiven, is bring it into the light. The thing about sin is sin is darkness. Sin hates the light. and, And darkness hates the light. And if you've ever turned on a light in a dark place, you know that the moment light comes on, the darkness flees. And so that's what's going to happen in your life. If you learn to be open and honest about your sin, not going around telling everyone about everything, but going to a trusted spiritual leader and sharing what you're, everyone should have someone that they can be completely honest with. And I still do. I actually, my wife's dad is my accountability partner. And so I don't want to say things to him. But, um, but everyone should have someone that you're completely honest with. The next thing is develop biblical convictions. You want to develop a conviction about whatever your struggle is. Your struggle may not be lust. It may be fear. A lot of people really struggle with fear. Um, It may be pride. You may think that you're better than you actually are. It may be who knows what. It may be gluttony. It may be something else. It may be your body image. It may be your insecurities. Whatever it is you need to develop some biblical convictions on it. So what I did is I, I did a Bible study on lust, and there was a lot, the Bible had a lot to say, and I read a great book called Not Even a Hint by Joshua Harris, and it gave me tons of Bible verses, and the Bible speaks to every struggle that we ever encounter. And so whatever your struggle is, the Bible has something to say about it. And, the, and you can memorize. I started memorizing those passages, I, like Ephesians 5, 3. It says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And so when I was tempted, I would just quote that verse. And I don't know about you, but when I have an open Bible in front of me, I'm, I'm not tempted most of the time. <laughs> okay, But when you're tempted is when life happens. That's why you memorize. I had... I had a a bunch of verses on that topic of purity that I had memorized, and as I was tempted, I would quote one to myself. And a lot of times, that temptation would just be gone. It would just flee. So I encourage you, if you're struggling with something, maybe it's fear, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it is lust, and I encourage you to memorize 10 verses on that topic and just quote them to yourself every time that you're tempted. The next thing is take drastic measures to fight against your sin. Take drastic measures. Jesus said this. He said, You have heard it, it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Matthew five twenty seven 27-29. Jesus is pretty intense here. He's saying, he's actually not saying to literally... Take your eye out. He's using a, a figure of speech, but, he's, but using that figure of speech, he is making a serious statement. He is saying that you need to do something that sounds crazy to avoid sin and temptation. You need to take drastic measures to overcome your temptation. So you need to do whatever it takes because sin can destroy your life. And this is Jesus talking don't look at me like I'm, going, I'm being too hardcore. Jesus said this. Jesus said, do whatever it takes to be free from sin. So what I did, I, had, I was struggling with the temptation, and my dad was keeping me accountable. And I read a passage like this, and I thought about it, and I, I got to the place where I wanted to kill this sin in my life. I wanted to be done with it. And so this isn't for everyone, but I talked to my dad, and I said, Dad, I want to apply this. This concept and do whatever it takes. And next time I give into this temptation, I'm going to give $100 to the church. And so I I did that. And I did that, how many, I did it twice. (laughs) And I gave $200 to the church. And then I went a long time without giving into it again. It was something that God used, something, sometimes if you're addicted to porn, maybe you need to get a dumb phone, Okay, and if you're if you're struggling with um, something else, you need to take whatever drastic measures that God's calling you to do. And this is not legalism. This is by God's grace, helping, working with God to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Romans eight thirteen it says that put to death, put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's a violent, ruthless, whatever it takes attitude. There's no reason that you need to be stuck in the sins that you're stuck in. There's zero reason. The only reason is if you're not taking these steps. Be honest. Learn to do whatever it takes and then develop those biblical convictions. Let's jump back into 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.12. If you are living this lifestyle, this is the result. It says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give glory, give honor to God when he judges the world. So even if people talk bad of you, if you have a holy life, you're gonna silence the haters, you're gonna block out the haters. First Peter two, fifteen through seventeen, it says, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. 1 Peter 2, 15 through 17. There's so much in here, but at the end of the day, there's a passage, of a phrase I want you to circle. It's fear God. Living in the fear of the Lord is the thing that will guide you. Learning to honor and respect God and you're gonna be tested by this is how we live in a way that's honorable, that, that people, when they see you, there's nothing that they can stick on you. There's nothing that, that they try to throw on you that's gonna stick, because they got nothing against you. So you have to decide are, how serious are you gonna be about following Jesus? How serious are you gonna be about giving, getting rid of your sin? The only way to live a joyful Christian life is to live a committed Christian life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So when you became a Christian, when you, if you choose to become a Christian, Jesus is saying, come, die with me so I can give you new life. First Peter 2, 21, towards the end of this, um, this chapter, he says, to this you are called, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, 21. And then in 22 through 25, which you'll study in your life groups, he goes off on what Jesus did for us. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. But if you're a follower of Christ, you're called to that same commitment. You're you're called to suffer like Christ, and it's a privilege. So I want to ask a question to you tonight. What is Jesus worth to you? What is knowing Jesus worth to you? Is it worth overcoming your sin? Is it worth doing some of these things to get rid of sin in your life? Actually, one of my favorite books of all time, it's The Insanity of God by Nick ripkin And I showed you a video of it at the end of last semester. But I actually came across another story that we're going to watch. It's about 10 minutes long. So I think we're going to be okay on time But because I'll wrap up after that. <laughs> but we're going to watch that. And it, it's really emphasizing how worth it it is to follow Christ. So let's check out that that um, video.
2: I'd like to tell you about the toughest man I think I've ever met. Uh, I can't locate him any closer than Central Asia because uh, he lives in one of the toughest places on the planet and he has no genealogy of faith. I say that he's the toughest man I ever met because uh, years ago, years ago, uh, uh, when another Uh, foreign country invaded his country he felt like in the name of Allah and for Islam uh, he led a squad of 15 men to fight off the invaders and he said to me Nick I took great joy when I could come up behind a foreign soldier an invader someone who was trying to kill Islam in my country I took great joy when I could cut his throat and let his blood go over uh, my hands and my arms As an offering uh, to God, now he agreed to meet me if I would meet him in a third country. He would set up the interview. I would meet him into an apartment uh, with a light bulb hanging from the ceiling. He stood about uh, uh, 15 feet away from me behind a potted plant, and and the deal was I wouldn't try to see him. I wouldn't try to uh, identify him I would never ask for names and i say good uh, you're in charge of all security and so that's how I set up meeting in a third country the toughest man I ever met and now he's telling me uh, about cutting the throats of enemy soldiers as a blood offering to God and I I just I should have just let him tell the story but I I was just uh, so engrossed and grossed out by the story. I, I said, you have any clue how many people you killed? He said, Well, I stopped counting at about 150. And he said, I began to think that I was going crazy because at night I would dream and there were spots of blood in my hands in my dream. And as I, in successive nights when I dream, the blood would grow until the blood is covering my hands, my arms, and dripping down my elbows. And he said, I really knew I was going insane when I saw the blood during my waking hours. And I recognized it as the blood of those hundreds of people that I'd killed. And he said, no amount of washing or scrubbing. He said, I, I used uh, sand, I used soap. And no one else could see it, but every day, every night, the blood, nothing would take the blood off. And he said, then one night the dream changed. And there stood this man clothed in white surrounded by a bright light and there were scars in His hands and scars in His feet and there were these scars on His head and in one of His sides. And He said uh, in Arabic, I am Isa, Messiah. I am Jesus, Messiah. If you find Me, I can get the blood off. And the dream ended. And He wakes and He starts a 6 to 12 month journey to find Jesus the Messiah. We're not there. For 2000 years we haven't been there. Uh, there's little or no access to any bible. There, there, there there's no way to find a pastor to talk to and and, and so he's having a uh, you know he's having to piece together uh, a piece of the gospel here and a piece here and a piece here and he did that for 6 to 12 months until he found Jesus the Christ. And he took Jesus into his heart and Jesus immediately took the blood away. He had no one like us to uh, disciple, train, advise him. Uh, he, he wanted his other uh, countrymen to uh, have Jesus like he had Jesus. And he began to smuggle Bibles and Bible portions and... Jesus films in his country and you know through the frozen mountain passes even at times and and one day he came around one of those corners in the mountain and there's the 15 men he used to lead and they've been looking for their old commander and immediately they threw him to the ground and began to break his wrist his elbows his knees uh, his, his ankles with their gun butts and in those 15 men was a follower of Jesus Christ, only known to God. And that man stepped forward and said, we're being stupid. If we kill our old commander here, uh, uh, we won't know who he's working with on both sides of the border. So let me take him to the nearest town and patch him up and then you can come and torture him little by little by little to expose, expose the traitors to Islam on both sides of the border. They said, that's a good idea. So he took him to the nearest town, patched him up really quick, tied him on the back of a donkey, and smuggled him over the mountain into a third country. And this brother is still now doing the work of the Lord. He is the toughest man I have ever met. Such a dramatic encounter with Jesus, much like uh, Saul on the road of Damascus. But you know... uh, Ruth and I have now done enough of these interviews to hear what people are not saying. And he had told me, hiding behind this plant, he had told me that he had a wife and three kids, that he had led them to Christ, that he had baptized them. They were believers. But they never appeared in the six hours that I stood behind that bare light bulb with him silhouetted in the corner of that room. And so they never showed up in the story. And I thanked him for the life-changing story he had told me and for being such a brother in Jesus. I said, but before we go, can I ask you, uh, uh, how does your wife help you in your ministry? Uh, How do your children, how do they serve alongside of you? And folks, I can tell you, I was terrified. Because this brother broke every rule he had set. He leaped from behind that potted plant to where I'm standing uh, behind that bare light bulb and he grabs me by the shoulder. And, And again, I'm not singing. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And he begins to shake me. And all that's in my head is, Oh, this dude killed 150 people. And now he's going, I'm going to be 151. But then he gets in my face and he says, How can God ask it? I said, Excuse me? He said, How can God ask it? I've given him everything. My body's been broken. I've almost froze to death. I've been arrested. I've been starved. And he says, When I go to bed at night, that which I fear the most is that God may ask the same sacrifice from my wife and kids. And he looked at me and he said to me, Nick, how can God ask this of me? What do you say? I told him about Timothy dying in Kenya and buried at the school there. and I said, my wife is in Kentucky and she's safe and one son is in university and the other son is uh with my wife now and and we're out of that danger and and I said I've never lived like you've lived but I've just got to ask you one question and and that is is Jesus worth it? And he said, What? I said, is Jesus worth your life and the life of your wife and the life of your children? And the toughest man I ever met wrapped his arms around me. I mean, he just like a falcon. There's just he just just muscle, and and uh, uh, and he, 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 you know you could tell that he he, he didn't have the uh, uh, habit of weeping because he wiped his tears away as if in anger, and and then he pushed me away and he said, "I'm going to go get my wife and my kids." And I've got to get them involved in what I'm doing for the kingdom of God because Jesus is worth it.
0: Stories like this um, show me that there's people that are risking everything to follow Christ. And it's inspiring to hear stories of, of people r- literally risking their lives to follow Christ. And, and I, I think about myself, and I think there's something in me that's like sounds like, yeah, I want to go do that. But what I've discovered is it's easier, sometimes it's easier to actually die for Christ than it is to live for Christ. Until, until God will call you to die for him, you've got to practice learning to live for him. And so for a lot of us, it's learning to live obediently and completely committed in the daily, everyday parts of life first, before you can do the heroic stuff like in these videos. Because what is Jesus worth to you? That's my question. I wanna ask, is Jesus worth it? And is Jesus worth you doing whatever it takes to be free from sin? Yes, he is. And is he worth suffering to follow him, and because there's so much joy in that. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you are good, that you are with us, that you are here, that you are worthy of our lives. I pray that every person in here would come to the place where we realize that you are worth living for today and every day, that your grace would call us forward, that we wouldn't, wouldn't feel like this is up to us, but Lord, that you would show us that, that you wanna lead us into a life of joy and peace and power with you. So I pray for every person in here that we would take our next step, that we would get grow to the place where nothing is holding us back from following you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.